The following episode contains major plot points that may spoil movies for some viewers. A spoiler warning is now in effect. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I am your host Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Thank you all for listening tonight and we are doing our part two of the Saw series. We will be doing three and four tonight. Yep. So would you like to explain to them what we're going to be doing exactly? Well, you just summarized it pretty much. We're going to be talking about parts three and four of the Saw franchise. Mm -hmm. Did you want to talk about anything specific before we get into the main plot? Ah. You want to talk a little bit about when we watched Megan last week? Well, Megan was pretty... It wasn't last week. It was the weekend prior to that. Okay. So, yeah. so almost two weeks. Essentially two weeks ago, we went and saw Megan. Yeah, which that was pretty fun to watch. And I promise that like eventually we'll do a more deep dive episode review of Megan. But, but, but we're not because we have to do a whole series of Saw films. I did enjoy Megan. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Because mm-hmm. when I first saw like the promos and the teasers for Megan, I was like, not another fucking AI horror film. People fuck around and find out with AI technology and it just turns around and bites them in the ass. But what I liked about Megan mm-hmm. was that... Yes, it did do that, but it did it in a way where it was like, clearly, the person who made Megan had some good intentions behind it, but clearly didn't know how creating Megan was going to affect not only the people around her, how it was emotionally going to affect her niece. She basically had her as a babysitter for her niece. Not even as a babysitter. Like, she built it, again, I don't want to get too into it, but Gemma built it with the intention as a toy for her niece, Katie, yeah, who just lost her parents in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And Katie, who is reeling and dealing with this trauma she just experienced, oh, yeah. latches on to Megan so closely that even there's a, there's a child psychologist character in it that explains attachment theory. And I liked that, that they included real-life psych... psychological aspects in the story writing because essentially i mean we see it actually happen sometimes with kids who form strong attachments to physical objects Mm -hmm. when you take that item away from them they melt down terribly sometimes it's terrible sometimes it's not so bad but they still do have a meltdown i'm still pissed at my mom giving away our first nintendo system do you really want to a family do you really want to hash that out on the podcast i mean what if she listens to it who your mom she doesn't listen to our she's gonna call she's gonna call you up tomorrow and be like get over it already she don't listen to this she supports it but she doesn't listen to it well then i'll tell you for her get over it already it was 30 years ago let it go never anyway but i liked megan there's usually not in all movies but in some movies i've watched there's a certain moment where a movie or screenplay writer or somewhere along the way they incorporate a reference or a nod or an homage to another movie that i enjoy (laughs) that really makes me giddy like, you ever have those moments where something happens in a movie and you recognize it from another movie and you're like, oh my god, it happened. Oh yeah, it's like that meme where you see the picture of Leonardo DiCaprio with the beard, and he's, with the beer in his hand and he points at the screen and he's like, you! Like that. Or like the moment when we watched Nope and the Akira motorcycle scene was recreated and I was like, oh, that was awesome. Oh god, put your dick back in your pants. But there was a moment like that that happened in Megan in the third act. I don't want to give away because it's just so good. Who cares? I care. I am not going to get into it with you right now. I just think it's so creative the way they went about this. And like I said, it was much better than that mm. Child's Play remake. I get that Child's Play had a certain... Like, the remake that they went with it was... Instead of fueling Chucky with voodoo rituals, which... I now realize is probably not a culturally appropriate thing to do with movies. But instead of doing that, let's just make him an AI doll and have the AI technology go haywire and he becomes a murderous sociopath. I thought you hated that movie. I do hate it. Okay. I do hate it. Because here's the thing. The AI technology was altered by a disgruntled employee who would later on, trigger warning, 
go on to killing himself. In reference of my latest inquest to dive deep into the world of that spooky, I did make a bit of an oopsie poopsie in last week. What did you do? In last week's episode, two things. I did try to incorporate in the beginning of the episode, but I forgot to mention trigger warning as in some parts of the Saw movies did incorporate themes of suicide and other dark themes that are not suitable for audiences. I also... Part two, I refer to Addison as a prostitute. It's really not polite to call people prostitutes. The correct term is sex workers, so I do apologize in that aspect. Those are my two fuck-ups from last week. I'm willing to admit and own up that I fucked up. I made a mistake. I apologize, and I will try to do better going forward. And you know what that makes you? Makes you a good human. Right. To learn from your mistakes. So... So don't fuck up next time. (laughs) Speak for your fucking self, Colin. You are the king of fucking up. Yes, but I've learned a lot from my mistakes. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You know what? I don't know what to say. That being said, I will bring up now that parts three and four do tackle dark themes like death of a child and... I believe, self-harm of some kind. If these are things that trigger people, I would not recommend this episode. That's just a forewarning. Okay. Is there anything else you want to talk no. about before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of our episode? No, I'd rather go into the meat and potatoes now. So Saw 3 was released on October 7, 2006, with a runtime of an hour and 48 minutes. It was directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman, who also directed Part 2, and I believe he directed... This one and a couple others later on in the series. But it stars Tobin Bell as John Kramer, Shawnee Smith as Amanda Young, Dina Meyer as Detective Carey, Donnie Wahlberg as Detective Matthews, Bahar Sumek as Dr. Lynn Denlin. I apologize if I mispronounce her name. <laughs> and Angus McFadden as Jeff Reinhardt. The synopsis goes, Dr. Lynn Denlin becomes a pawn in the Jigsaw Killer's latest gory game. Kidnapped and taken to an abandoned warehouse, she finds Jigsaw's bedridden and dying. Her task is to keep the maniac alive long enough for Jeff, a fellow victim, to complete his own task. Each is unaware that Jigsaw has much bigger and deadlier plans in store. Any thoughts about this one? What did you think about it overall? I I forgot about this one, honestly. Honestly? Yeah, I mean... Have you ever watched it? I watched it when it came out, like when it came out in theaters, but it was just like the one and two had a little more bit of an impact. This one, to me, was like, okay. Barely really like had any memory because it was... So I'm just saying, I don't really remember much of it because, I don't know, third wasn't really... It was okay. Wasn't the best, but yeah. I liked it. I thought that at the end, it had a really nice way of like tying it all or bring it all together because usually at the end of jigsaw or saw movies in general even though like yeah it takes a long time to just get to the end of it to figure out what's really going on you find out along the way that these things do at one point in time make themselves known when you watch it a second time it's like oh yeah i could have seen how this could have been connected to that and vice versa but you Mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah we find out in like in the beginning of the movie for example and I'm not going to get into the plot right now because I still have some behind-the-scenes stuff I need to cover. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning of the movie, we see Dr. Denlin with a man who most people would assume would be her husband because she seems unhappy with him. She's putting her ring on, getting herself ready to go to work, and he's saying to her, oh, well, you know, I wish you could stay and blah, blah, blah. Like, it sounds like somebody, like a married man who's sick of his wife leaving him all the time for work. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of vibe that scene gives off, but then we come to find out that that man is not really her husband. And we'll get into that when we get to the ending, but it's just interesting how the writing works that way. It throws you in for a loop and makes you think like, okay, we know where this is going to go. But then like you come to find out at the end where it all ties together and it's all revealed what's happening and it's like, oh, this is even crazier. Yeah, exactly. So some behind-the-scenes stuff I wanted to get into before I get into the plot was that production began immediately after the release of Saw 2. It had a very successful opening weekend. Yeah. The budget for the film was $10 million, which was more than the budget for Saw 2, which had $4 million. And it grossed $164.9 million at the box office. Mm. Yeah, it's a pretty big number for an opening weekend. That's awesome, especially for a third movie. 
Right. For a third movie <clears throat> of its franchise, yeah, they don't sequels don't usually do that well. The last time a sequel of like a third movie did well like that was Dream Warriors. Nightmare oh. on Elm Street because oh, yeah. that actually topped the first one was a success. The second one was okay, but the third one topped that one. Mm-hmm. So literally, it was kind of like the you know one of the th- successful third movies. So remember how part two was shot? I believe about twenty eight <clears throat> days. Yeah, I know they keep it keeps going higher a little bit, too, like with not, each movie, a little bit, not by much, but a little bit. This movie was shot in a period of thirty two days. days. Yeah, can you stop reading my notes? I know the screen is, like, right here, and it's bright, and you can see it from where you're sitting, but can you not? You don't have to be pushy. But and you don't have to be reading over my shoulder. But anyway, actors Tobin Bell and Shawnee Smith spent several weeks before filming getting to know each other personally, so the relationship between their characters would appear believable and real. Which, honestly, with the exception of the flashback scene shown at the end of Saw 2, there's really not a whole lot of scenes of Jigsaw or John Kramer and Amanda together. Mm-hmm. So it only makes more sense that since they're going to be spending more screen time together in this film, and their relationship dynamic is more like father-daughter-ish than... Which is kind of weird, but yeah. Well, it makes sense going <clears throat> forward, you know, when you think about it. No. But we'll get into it a little bit. Right. As with the previous two films, only the actors who appeared in the final scene were given the complete script. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last part. None of the cast members knew the true ending to Saw 2. They kept that part of the script for the only surviving actors of the final moments of Saw 2. Yeah. Wow. So imagine when they... In a very very Wes Craven sort of way. But imagine when how they find out about it, you know. Right. Which is, yeah. But that's so, like, that's such a Wes Craven thing to do. Because that's how he did it with the Saw, or not Saw, the Scream films. Okay, so like Saw and Saw 2, this film was shot entirely within one large warehouse complex in Toronto. 40 setups in four different locations were all achieved on the first day of shooting. The producers of this film asked the producers of Scary Movie 4 if they could use their bathroom set for this film as it was an exact replica of the sets used in Saw and Saw 2. They were given permission to use it. I was going to say, you've seen the scary movies. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you ever watch Scary Movie 4? No, actually. Okay. I See, stopped watching it after Scary Movie 3 because it sucked. Yeah, I'm, and that's the thing with me. I mean, there's some horror comedies that I do enjoy, but horror parodies are just too stupid for me to watch. Mm. There's sometimes, there's sometimes there's just those movies that are so stupid that it makes your brain hurt. I guess I understand that because Leslie Nielsen did that with Linda Blair when they did a parody of Exorcist and the yeah. movie's called Repossessed. Yeah, it's... I remember that movie so it's well. Bad. It sucked. Yeah, it's bad. That's it, why I can never watch these movies because they're so terrible. Well, actually, I prefer the scary movies. The scary movies are really well, good. One, two, and three were actually yeah. good. I know you can and I know it. I know it's like that for some people, but I, for mm. me, it's not my thing. The scary movies are just too dumb, and mm. I can't watch it without feeling total cringe. Or that where you feel stupid? I don't feel stupid. It just feels stupid to watch it. Mm. Like, I get that there's some movies that you can watch without having to turn your brain on and think about, but this is like a whole other lo- level of dumbing down. Well, there's kind of like that with a movie that was really stupid that it made people feel stupid. It was a movie with Tom Arnold, and it called The Stupids. And their okay. and their their last name was stupid. So when people would be like, "What's your name?" and they'd be like, "We are the stupids." Oh wow! Yeah, the movie was pretty idiotic, but it's whatever. It was it was funny, but it was stupid. <laughs> but that's the whole point of it. So the script was being constantly added during production. Lee Winnell remained on set throughout the film so he could keep working on it. Mm -hmm. One climactic scene between Shawnee Smith and Bahar Sumek was scribbled down on napkins only five minutes before it was shot. Now, there that leads into another little thing that I will get into when I get into the plot because I think it's very interesting because... And I don't know if it's like this for every Saw film, but we do get a lot of, like, improvised moments throughout the movies. Don't you think? Yeah. Because in the last movie, we talked about how Frankie G and some of his dialogue for his role as Xavier was improvised. A lot of it got kept in the final cut. 
Yeah. There are some moments like that in here that I'll get into in, later on when we get into the plot, but what are your thoughts so far? Well, not much other than just I'm waiting to see more when we get into this. So with that, I will get into the plot and then like I usually do somewhere along the way, I'll stop and get into other behind the scenes stuff because mm-hmm. I do feel like a lot of this is important. So Saw 3, after being left in the bathroom to die in the previous film, Detective Eric Matthews breaks his foot with a toilet lid to escape his shackle. Six months later, the aftermath of a jigsaw game is discovered by Officer Riggs' SWAT team. The victim, Troy, had to rip chains from his body to escape a bomb. Detective Carey points out that the room's exit was welded shut, breaking jigsaw's modus operandi, I believe that's the word that's being used, hmm. of giving his victims a chance to survive. While reviewing the videotape, Carrie is abducted and awakens in a harness hooked into her ribs. She retrieves the key from a beaker of acid as instructed, but the lock does not open and the trap inevitably kills her. Dr. Lynn Denlin is abducted from the hospital she works at and is brought to the bedridden John Kramer. His apprentice Amanda locks a collar armed with five shotgun shells around Lynn's neck that is connected to John's heart rate monitor and will detonate if she moves out of range or if John dies. Lynn is instructed by Amanda to keep him alive until another test subject has completed his game. The victim, Jeff, a grief-stricken father consumed with the vengeance after the death of his son Dylan in a drunk driving accident, must undergo a series of tests around the abandoned meatpacking plant to confront those involved in the case. Mm-hmm. So this is a very interesting test, and this test not only tests both Lynn and Jeff, it also tests Amanda. Huh. I don't know if you remember that. I know you and I have talked about about it about it off record Mm -hmm. but this is what i find the most interesting about this third game is that so far up until now john kramer has tested seemingly random people who at some point in time have like are all connected in some way yeah and you have to wonder well how are jeff and lynn connected they are seemingly two people who have nothing in common But we come to find out later they actually have one really big thing in common. And both of their tests test Amanda and how she's able to handle the ending of it. We'll get into that. Okay, keep going. So Jeff's first test leads him to a meat freezer where he finds Danica, the only witness to the accident, who refused to testify in court. Naked and chained to a metal frame inside the plant's freezer with nozzles inside the frame to spray her with water to quicken her hypothermia. My God, I cannot talk today. Jeff retrieves the key after Danica persuades him to help her, but she freezes to death before he can do so. In his next test, Judge Halden, who passed a lenient sentence on the driver who caused Dylan's death, is chained at the neck of the bottom of a vat. Rotting pig carcasses are dropped into a grinder that will slowly fill the pit until Jeff saves him by burning Dylan's memorabilia in an incinerator to retrieve a key. Now, I'm going to pause here because there are a couple of things that happen during this time that I need to touch base on. While Jeff is going through all this, Lynn is doctoring John Kramer. Mm -hmm. She evaluates his medical record. She looks those over in his brain scans and x-rays and deduces that the cause of his headaches because there's not enough room in his skull for oxygen to get into his brain. So she does have to perform some sort of, I don't know what you would call it. It's not a lobotomy. It's some sort of procedure where she has to remove a a piece of his skull so that way there's more room for his brain to expand upon so it's Hmm. not applying so much pressure to his temporal lobes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. As all this is happening, John is kind of fading in and out and he's having these images of his life where he sees the image of his ex-wife Jill Tuck who we will come to know a little bit more later in the next movie but he is starting to kind of hallucinate and confuse Lynn for Jill and this budding friendship or I don't know what you would call it it's not a romance but it just Lynn's position in caring for John allows him to soften to her Hmm. because again this is not his victim he's not testing her He's testing Amanda. This is her test to put on to them. And when Amanda sees that Lynn is cozying up to John, or not cozying, but just being tender with him in a way that pleases him, it causes Amanda to feel irrationally jealous. 
Oh, wow. Over the situation. Really? Yes. It is not good because even John says or confines in Lynn that Amanda can be quite emotional. And that is her weakness is that she lets her emotions get the best of her. And be, that is her driving force in all this, which we will get to at the end of this, I promise. But Shawnee Smith was not originally supposed to grab Lynn by the throat and threaten her in the sick room, as can be seen by her surprised facial expressions in the moments after. The line where Lynn says, you fucking freak, was not written in the script. Bahar added it in after Shawnee unexpectedly threw her against the wall. So these are more improvised moments that are not written in the final script, but are applied throughout recording. Mm -hmm. Which I think is interesting because, again, it only shows more about Amanda's character that she lashes out at Lynn for forming a bond with John. And I guess to some degree, it probably makes Amanda feel like, well, if she survives this test like I did, and John lives and survives this procedure, he could cast me aside and Lynn can be my replacement. Easily. Oh, shit. That's probably her thought process. I'm just speculating. This is not my absolute statement. This is just no. my hypothesis. Because we see throughout this these moments that any time there's a moment where Lynn and John have like a heart-to-heart or one-on-one, Amanda comes in and she gets really hostile towards Lynn. And even John Kramer sometimes has to tell Amanda to stand down and calm your tits, essentially, because... <sighs> Like, she's not a threat to you. She's just doing what she's supposed to do, which is to make him feel better. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's her job. That's her task here. Okay. Right. So, due to safety regulations, prosthetics can't entomb a person when taking a body cast. In order to create the frozen body of Danica, two separate casts of the actress were made. One of the front half of her body and one for the back half. The result was two separate pieces of the frozen body, one for shooting the front view and one for shooting the back. And although it appears otherwise, the only four prosthetic pigs were used in the pig vet which is the second test that Jeff has to go through. Mm -hmm. Uh, The pig carcasses were made out of foam, rubber, and latex. However, the pig props were filled with real live disinfected maggots. Tobin Bell said that out of all the traps in the series, this one, known as the pig vat, was his favorite. It Uh, is very, very gross. It would not be my favorite, that's for sure. It wouldn't be anybody's favorite, but it's very gross. Anyway, Jeff's third test involves Timothy, the driver who killed Dylan, who is strapped to a machine that will slowly twist his limbs and then his head. The key is tied to the trigger of an enclosed shotgun that goes off after Jeff retrieves it, accidentally killing Judge Halden. Jeff fails to save Timothy in time and the machine breaks his neck. Do you remember that part? Yes, actually. The thing that confuses me about this scene is that when we see the flashbacks, so like up until now, we assume that the driver was drunk mm-hmm. when he ran over Dylan. Yeah. But in flashbacks, and from what the judge even says to Jeff during his second test, is that Timothy was a medical student who just didn't see Jeff's son roll his bicycle or tricycle or whatever the fuck he was riding in the street out in the road. And that's another thing. It's like, if you're at a park with your child, how come you're not watching your child go out into the road on a tricycle? Exactly. Right? You would think that as a... And I'm not judging all parents here at all. But in this scenario, it's like, if you're going to blame somebody for running your kid over, the first person you should blame... Yeah. yourself. Yeah, in in Jeff's case, he should be blaming himself first for not watching his child better. And this not only is apparent in what happened to Dylan. He, Because of his grief with Dylan, he's neglecting his other daughter, Corbett. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you remember that? That Jeff had another kid? Oh. I forgot that Jeff had another kid. Well, I forgot, I, so yeah. I only remembered seeing her briefly in the beginning when uh, he was... What? Honey, honey, calm down. Okay, I'm sorry. You're, you're, yeah, you're up here. Come down here just a tiny bit. But again, it makes the audience forget in a way that Jeff had another kid because he was so caught up in his own grief over his son, Dylan, that he completely neglected his other child who is not only struggling with the fact that she just lost her brother, she's watching both of her parents grieve in different ways over the loss of their son. And because of their both 
both of the both of their ways of grieving are separate from each other. It's like she's watching her family fall apart from the inside. Like it's yeah. sad. It is. And we like I said, we kind of forget about her until the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Lynn is forced to perform an improvised surgery to relieve pressure on John's brain. The surgery is successful, and Lynn convinces John to order Amanda to remove the collar. However, Amanda refuses and threatens Lynn's life, having become jealous of her interactions with John. John pleads with Amanda, who admits that she is no lo- that she no longer believes in his philosophy and has been manipulating her traps to Troy and Carrie, refusing to listen to John's warnings. However, Amanda refuses and threatens Lynn's life, having become jealous of her interactions with John. Amanda shoots Lynn just as Jeff arrives. Jeff, who is revealed to be Lynn's husband, retaliates by shooting Amanda with a gun provided by John after his tests. As Amanda dies, John reveals that Lynn's test was actually hers. John was aware of her motives and unwilling to allow a murderer to continue his legacy. He then addresses Jeff, offering to call an ambulance for Lynn if he has learned anything from his ordeal and accepts one last test, either killing John or forgiving him. In response, Jeff slashes John's throat with a power saw, activating Lynn's collar as the room is sealed shut. Before dying, John takes out a tape recorder to inform Jeff that his daughter, Corbett, who is also captured, and he must face another test to save her. And that is the end of Saw 3. Great. Sounds amazing on paper. (laughs) On paper, it's bizarre. Yeah. Visually, on a movie, it's so fucking good. It's good. Like, I've said this to a few people. Like, when I talk about this movie to people, this is how I always describe this this series as a whole. The philosophy behind John Kramer's motives are so intriguing. And the way you watch each of these movies and the traps that are set up for all these different people tell you who designed them. Mm Mm-hmm. Because with John Kramer, at least with his tests, although he doesn't have a successful test rate of people surviving his tests, they do have a chance of survival. His whole philosophy is that if the human will is strong enough to persevere through physical trauma of being able to escape these traps, then you do have a second chance of life, essentially. That's his goal. Hmm. With Amanda, there's no chance of survival. She cuts out people like Troy for whatever reason, to get revenge or whatever, because she just doesn't like him. Or she kills Detective Carrie because she was getting too close to figuring out who the Jigsaw Killer is. Again, instead of teaching her a lesson about valuing her life, which is the whole point of John Kramer's test, she kills her. Because the key does not fit the lock and she is unable to unhook the contraption from her ribs. Hmm. It's terrible. And then when we get into the next apprentice of the later Saw films... His philosophy carries on a little bit more of a justice motive. Okay. And by doing that, he puts a group of people in these traps that they have to work together to be able to solve and carry each of them through each trap and test. Okay. So, yeah. I think that there's there's a philosophy behind it. And like I said, depending on how the traps are designed and what the outcomes are, tells you who created these tests and why. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, it sounds pretty accurate to me. What do you think of the big reveal at the end? That Jeff and Lynn were husband and wife? That's shocking. I forgot about that, too. Is I mean, you gotta remember, this film came out a long time ago, so... I know it came out a long time ago. It came out in 2006. Yeah. We're now in the year 2023, so it's been quite some time. Yeah. So, it's like... like 17 years. Yeah. So, I'm sorry if I forgot, but yes. But it's good to kind of, like, rehash this and just kind of, like, try to remember. And, you know, I remember some parts, but not everything. It is very, very intriguing to watch. And a lot of people who may not be too big of fans of the Saw films, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, this whole franchise could have ended as a trilogy with Saw 3. It really could have ended that way. I do agree. However, I do believe that there are a lot of things that were left unsaid in the first three movies that do get resolved later on in the later films. I get that. I mean, I feel like you could do more stories with this, but I also feel like, for me, I feel like they did this just to get like a 
cash cow. Yeah, cash cow or cash grab of capitalizing on a successful horror movie franchise. I and do get that. keep going, yeah. But keep in mind, they did the same thing with Friday, or not Friday. Well, yeah, Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. They milked that shit for that's, decades. And that's where they got it from. That's where a lot of scary movie franchises get it from because of those movies. And I get that. But the thing with Saw that makes it so intriguing is not just the traps are what bring people to watch. Because, of course, the whole point of Saw is that people are put into these really weird traps that they have to try to escape from. And it's just to see how far they can push themselves to free themselves of these torture devices. And what is the connection with all this? You have this guy who came up with a reason or came up with a way to make people value their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's just so bizarre that he did this to prove a point to somebody, which we will probably get into in the next movie. But he did this to prove a point to somebody. And that was the human will and its instinct to persevere is the driving force of our survival. Mm-hmm. Cause like he says in the second movie, he was given his cancer diagnosis and out of depression, he attempted to take his own life. He did not succeed because his body willed him to persevere through that trauma. And he had a second wind, a new found appreciation for life and to use whatever time he had to teach other people who had who lacked that same appreciation to get a second chance at life and fight for it. I like it. It's intriguing. I mean, it's messed up. <laughs> it's messed up. But he also says something to Lynn that I think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around. And I get it. I really do. Because it's like, you remember Charles Manson? Well, yeah. The whole point with Charles Manson was that even though he orchestrated the killings of Sharon Tate and her friends and the LaBiancas, mm-hmm. he never actually killed anybody. Yeah, no. He just had other people do it exactly. for him. He had his disciples. Exactly. And because of that, he was put away for a very long, long period of time. This is kind of where we start to kind of see similarities and parallels with John Kramer in this instance. Because although, yes, he does kidnap and abduct people and put them in these situations, he is not the one who draws the knife on them. He's not the one who makes them shoot themselves or he's not the one who is physically killing them. I mean, it kind of gives them choices, but also at the same time, he makes sure that they learn from this and that's why they play these games, whether they really get out of it. There is always a chance for survival in these. And unfortunately, in most of these, there's usually a sacrifice to be made. Now, Again, a lot of these is because you're in a trap. If you want to free yourself, you may have to pluck an eyeball out. You may have to sever a limb. You may have to, I don't know. Cut your own hand off. Cut your own foot off. Or that. Exactly. Like, that's just a, a part of the sacrifice that you have to do in order to free yourself and give yourself that second chance to survive. Which is backwards. I totally get it. But the overall goal and philosophy behind it is just intriguing to think about and discuss. But is there anything you want to touch base on before I get into part four? No, I think we're good. Just one more thing for Saw 3 before I go into four. Internationally, this was the highest grossing Saw film. Okay. That's all I have to say. All right, good. So Saw (laughs) 4 was released on October 26th of 2007. It has a runtime of an hour and 47 minutes and was also again directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman. Bozeman was also prepping his next film, Repo, the Genetic Opera, released in 2008 while shooting this film. And as I said in the last part of this episode, it's one of my favorite musicals. And it's a musical Mm -hmm. that was introduced to me by my sister back in high school. And I love it. It's, It's got a big... Well, I shouldn't say a big cast, but it's got some pretty big names in it. And mm-hmm. I know Bill Mosley is one of them. Yeah. So if you're a fan of Bill Mosley, I recommend you go check out Repo the Genetic Opera because it's really fucking good. Anyway, it stars Tobin Bell as John Kramer in flashbacks, Betsy Russell as Jill Tuck, Costas Mendelor, Mendelor, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, as Mark Hoffman, Lyric Bent as Daniel Rigg, who we saw in part two. Mm-hmm. Scott Patterson as Peter Strom and Athena Karkanis or Karkness as Lindsay Perez. 
Even though producers <clears throat> wanted Donnie Wahlberg to reprise his role, his schedule made him unavailable and his character was not included in the original script. However, after shooting began, his schedule freed up and the script was rewritten to include his character. So is he in the film? So he is in the film. Huh. Actually, I think this film was also released or made or produced right around the same time as Dead Silence. Yeah, it was because I remember Dead Silence came out in 2007. Which I found out today is not only a movie that Donnie Wahlberg is in, it's a movie that's also written by Lee Winnell, and Lee Winnell also wrote the 2020 Invisible Man movie. Did you know that? No. I am shocked as shit, and I'm I'm going to get Emily back on this podcast so we can do a remake debate about the Invisible Man, but it is such a good movie. Have you ever watched it? No. It's so fucking good, Colin. You have to watch it. It's so good. Anyway. She's freaking out, guys. <laughs> there is a flashback scene with Daniel Rigg where he's talking to a little girl. And that girl is Allison Luther, who is the niece of director Darren Lynn Bozeman. And the dog that we see, Ivan, the hotel clerk, petting and hugging and cuddling with, is actually Darren Lynn Bozeman's dog named Chance. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. I like. I love how like they incorporate these because again, it's it's got a budget, but you when you pull other people in that you know, like it's just fun. I like it. Yeah. So the synopsis goes: During the autopsy of serial killer Jigsaw, a cassette tape is discovered in his stomach, in which he warns that his gory games will continue. Sure enough, SWAT Lieutenant Daniel Rigg is forced to follow a blood-drenched trail of torture dismemberment and death in order to find two missing colleagues a pair of fbi profilers follow Riggs, suspecting he might be jigsaw's accomplice even as they unlock the puzzle of the killer's origins seen in gruesome flashbacks thoughts i mean i know you didn't no see I've this never, i don't didn't see the rest of these so okay. i'm just gonna go blind into these I really wish you had watched the later movies. Cause I really don't because I'm not a big fan of Saw films. I'm sorry. Oh, it's so good. You make that sound so <laughs> sexually uncomfortable, but yes. It's such a good series. Like uh, I'm so, uh, I'm so glad I'm doing this series right now, but uh, I just wish I had somebody who watched all the films to like spitball ideas i'm sorry i'm not that guy i wish you were that guy you know why why can't you be that guy for me wow you're giving me a look like i just need you in the balls like what that that hurt i'm sorry but you're not (laughs) don't even apologize (laughs) to the pit you're only doing it because the crowd's listening just like saw three saw four was also shot in 32 days the autopsy scene was passed completely uncut by the MPAA. A coroner was on set at all times for the autopsy scenes. The Tobin Bell body cast used in the autopsy scene took two weeks to be constructed. And the autopsy scene was deliberately made gruesome to distance the film from similar scenes that occurred in TV series such as CSI. Huh. Do you remember that show? Yes. I love that show. I, of course I know that show. Why, why? This was the show that got me into true crime. And that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm, I'm going to say. I blame that show now. Why? Good going. You know what? Because without that show, you wouldn't have your obsession. All right. You know what? I'm going to get into the plot now. Is there anything you want to add before I get into it? No. Just go into it. Get into it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the plot goes... An autopsy of the Jigsaw Killer reveals a wax-coated microcassette in his stomach. The tape shows Detective Hoffman promising that the games have just begun. In a mausoleum, Trevor and Art are chained to a large device. Trevor's eyes have been sewn shut and Art's mouth has Uh, been sewn shut. So you have the blind and the mute. That's so gross. How interesting. I hate that. Making communication between them impossible. When the device begins, it begins to pull them together. They panic, and Art murders Trevor to retrieve a key from his collar. Meanwhile, the police discover the corpse of Detective Carey. After cautioning Officer Riggs for barging through an unsecured door, Hoffman is introduced to FBI agents Strom and Perez, who deduce that Amanda, Jigsaw's apprentice, 
would have needed assistance with Carrie's death, indicating that there is another apprentice. Thoughts so far? No, it sounds exciting. All right, I'm going to pause to go into a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. But several ideas were written for that first trap, including a trap that pulled both victims upward and a room that was filled with water. Both were scrapped due to budget and filming issues. In the making of the mausoleum trap, the prosthetic thread used on both actors really couldn't speak during the film, but Trevor, who was the blind man, was actually able to see. Because mm. keep in mind, when this trap is unfolding, yeah. Trevor can't see that art can't speak. Mm. So when he's calling out, like saying who's there, he doesn't see that it's another victim. And when Art tries to approach him and touch him, Trevor starts swinging at him. And he starts picking up objects, like blunt force objects, to hit Art with. And he killed him. No, he tries to kill him. But Art, realizing that he needs to find a way to get to the key without getting hit by Trevor. So he has to kill Trevor to stop him from attacking him to get to the key Hmm. to release the collar that would have eventually choked him and killed him. Oh, okay. Also, when that scene ends, Art cuts his um, lip or... Now, I think, I don't know exactly what he does, but when he cuts the threading off of his lips, it creates a huge scar gash on his cheek. Oh, that's gross. Uh, The seamless transitions between separate scenes in the film were not created using digital effects, but they were done practically. For these transitions, the sets were built in such a way that two separate scenes could be filmed in one shot without interruption. So that evening, Rig and Hoffman are kidnapped. Rig is told that Detective Matthews is in fact still alive and is given 90 minutes to save him. He is then given his first test, where he finds Brenda is slowly being scalped. He rescues her, although he is warned not to, and Brenda later attempts to stab Rig. Rig subdues her and learns that Brenda was told that Rig was there to arrest her for prostitution. Yeah. So that's not good. Nope. Rig's next test is at a motel where he is instructed to abduct the manager, Ivan, revealed to be a serial rapist. Angered by seeing videos of Ivan's exploits, Rig forces Ivan into a prearranged trap which dismembers him. Rig's next test occurs in a school where Rig attacked a man acquitted of abusing his family. Though Rig's career was saved by Hoffman, in one of the classrooms, Rig discovers that the husband and wife are impaled on a pole, with the man dead and the woman clinging to life. Rig tells the woman that she must remove the spikes herself before leaving, pulling a fire alarm as he does. That one was very interesting. Yeah. So essentially what happened was this couple wakes up in a room. Oh, weren't they kind of like on a wall or something? On one side you had to you had to pull off the weapon? No, they, they were tied up to a pole, but they had these metal rods that's, piercing through their bodies. That's what I'm talking about, that one. I've seen that scene. Because of the height difference and the anatomy charts that were displayed all over the wall, mm-hmm. her injuries were not fatal, but, but his, his were. Yeah. And because she was also a victim of his abuse, just like the little girl that we see in some of the flashback scenes, mm-hmm. he she, she it, has yeah. to choose whether leave him in and to keep him alive or pull them out to free herself. Yeah. And- thus also freeing herself from this relationship. Because good. now he's dead. Yeah. Which I know you say that's good and believe me, it's it's really good to get out of abusive relationships like that. But that is a very heinous way of doing it. Even if she is not, even if she's being forced to, it's still like. But it also is a little kind of nice revenge on for him, right? For her to get it, revenge on him. It is. But if I've learned anything about creative writing and horror movies, is that if the writing compels you to root for that outcome, then you are no better than the person who orchestrated that to happen. True. It's just a mid, it's a whole midsummer thing. Like it's midsummer all over again. I don't want people to fall victim to cults, okay? Mm. So let's not root for the ending of midsummer. I'm going to leave it at that. Anyway, Strom and Perez arrive on the scene where it is learned that all the victims were defended by Art, who is the lawyer of Jill Tuck, Jigsaw's ex-wife. Art was the man in the mausoleum trap whose mouth was sewn shut. 
After a photographer is accidentally killed on the scene, Perez finds Billy, Jigsaw's puppet, in the office. She is told that Strom will, quote, soon take the life of an innocent man and that her next step is critical. Ignoring past clues that she is in danger, Perez continues with the investigation before Billy explodes. She is rushed to the hospital in critical condition. Furious, Strom interrogates Jill, who recounts Jigsaw's backstory. She was once pregnant with a boy to be named Gideon, but suffers a miscarriage when Cecil, a drug addict, Mm -hmm. robbed the clinic at which she was employed, and he slammed a door into into her stomach. She and her husband grew apart and eventually divorced. After learning that he had cancer and only a short while to live, Jigsaw placed Cecil in a trap which collapsed prematurely. Cecil then lunged at Jigsaw but fell into a mesh of barbed wire. Strom makes connections from Jill's story to the Gideon Meat Factory, the scene of Riggs' final test. Keep in mind, Meat Factory. Do you remember that? Yes. Wasn't that in the third movie? Yes, it was. Yeah. Strom arrives but finds himself lost, accidentally trailing Jeff from the previous film. Rig, meanwhile, approaches his final test. In the next room are Art, Matthews, and Hoffman. It is revealed earlier that if the door was opened before Riggs' time was up, Matthews' head would be crushed between two ice blocks and Hoffman would be electrocuted by a complex device. Rig charges through the door with one second to spare. Despite Matthews' attempt to stop Rig by shooting him, he is killed. That scene is impressive, by the way. I would definitely recommend to Colin that you watch this movie. I guess. <clears throat> Rick shoots Art while in another room, Strom mm. faces off with Jeff, who brandishes a gun, unaware that Jeff is frantically searching for his daughter. Strom kills Jeff while Hoffman, who was never in any danger, is Jigsaw's other apprentice. He arises and seals an injured Rig and a bewildered Strom in the factory. And that is the end of part four of the Saw movie. Damn. What do you think? Intense, but, you know, kind of almost feels like the same with the third movie. There is one thing I wanted to, like, shout out to. with In, in terms of the entire franchise, do you know the name of Charlie Closer? Or Clouser? No. So he's the composer for the Saw movies. You know how at the end of every Saw movie, when a big reveal is at the end, there's this very, like, orchestrated piece? It's, like, very intense. It, I'm going to take a minute to pause to play it for you, because copyright will just throw us in for a fucking loop if I play it on the air. Hang on. It's such a good number, isn't it? Yeah. I, I had to pause to play it for Colin, but otherwise copyright issues would have... Fuck this in the ass. But anyway, what did you think of that though? It it's a it's a soundtrack composed piece that's played at the end of every Saw film. I like it, and as uh, I like it, it has a nice creepiness to it, but also has a good beat. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a part in the beginning. I think it's like ten seconds in where the beat kind of drops. I love that fucking part. If I were a gym head like you, I would this would be my workout mix. Yeah. Yes, I would. Well, Gives you a whole new way of wanting to play the game in the gym. At the end of, like, my workout, I'd be like, game over. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, it's just so fucking good. For me, it's this fatality when I leave the gym, so yeah. But Charlie Closer, or Clouser, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he does a really good job at composing the soundtrack for these movies. And I found out in a Kill Count video from Dead Meat for Spiral that he returned to the project to revamp the soundtrack for Spiral. And it I haven't heard it because, again, I cannot find Spiral on any streaming service for, for me to watch. But this this song, though, it's called Hello Zep. It's so good. And it's called Hello Zep because this is the part in the first Saw movie where after Dr. Gordon leaves the room and leaves Adam with Zep's dead body... Adam searches Zep's pockets and finds the tape for Zep. And when he plays it in the cassette tape, it says, Hello, Zep. And then that's when the music starts. And it's such a good, pivotal moment. And I love that. I love that soundtrack so, so much. It's so good. 
But is there anything that you want to chime in about part four of Saw? Yes and no. Okay. I mean, honestly, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, I don't know if I'll watch it, but from what I've heard and stuff, it sounds pretty intense. Yeah. There's mm. one more piece of behind-the-scenes stuff I wanted to say before we wrap this up. But there's a moment in the movie where they test the fingerprints on a bullet. Uh, when the results come back, two other names can be seen on the sheet that matches the fingerprints on the bullet to Officer Rigg. It, it says, quote, Entry employee Schofield, Sean and CSI case app Armstrong David. Sean Schofield is in charge of doing the graphics for this film, and David A. Armstrong is the director of photography. Oh. Isn't that fun? That's cool. I just love shit like that. Again, I, I, I like it when they put little subtle nods to like the cast and crew. Of CSI? Not CSI. These, these are actual crew members for the Saw movies. Oh, okay. Yes. I love it. I just love it so much. It's so good. Not really. I mean, other than, you know, it's it's interesting to learn about these. I mean, they're not my favorite movies, but, you know, it's interesting to know what they're about and how they kept going on after the third movie. Mm-hmm. So. And I know they're not your kind of movie. I know, it. again, these types of movies are not for everyone, and I'm not forcing you to, but I feel like for Colin... If you like plot twist stuff like that at the end, it's definitely worth watching these movies. I, I mean, mean, yes, there's... even if you do, but you don't have to watch every plot twist movie. I love it though. I okay. love a good plot twist, and the, these ones deliver like the most interesting of plot twists ever. Mm-hmm. Especially like the end of that third one, where Jeff and Lynn are husband and wife, and the whole test was to test Amanda. One of the things that I never, like when I first watched Saw 3 for the first time in I don't know how many years, but when I watched it, there's a moment in part 3 where John says to Amanda, there's an envelope for you in my desk in case anything happens, I need you to read it. And of course she assures him you're going to be okay, I'm not going to, I don't need anything right now. But she does read the envelope and what whatever its contents is, it rattles the shit out of her. But it doesn't get revealed until, I believe, part five or mm-hmm. six, what that note really was. Okay. But it's very, very intriguing. Hmm. And this is, I mean, this is not the first movie where we see Jill Tuck, because we see Jill Tuck, who's the ex-wife of John Kramer, in flashbacks in part three. Mm-hmm. But we do get to know a little bit more about her in this movie. And there's a lot of things about her specifically that also tie in with Jigsaw's philosophy. You know the phrase he always says, cherish your life? Yeah. That's the name of the clinic she ran. Oh, okay. And there's more about her time of working at this clinic that pop up a lot more in the later movies. Mm -hmm. So again, it's just one of those things where it's like, well, if you paid attention, you watch these moments, and you're like, okay, where are they going with this? Then you've got to watch it, unfortunately, in the next movie. And I know it sounds like I'm saying like, well, unfortunately, you have to watch the next part when I've been like, talking it up a lot but i get that people don't like long stretched out um plots yeah yeah i get that and i i don't either for probably for the most part yeah yeah i don't know it just depends you know if you're dedicated into it where you really want to see how it runs out i'm interested to get in the next part of this series because parts five and six are really something and I can't remember if it's part five or six, but one of them has well, how to... How many Saw films are there? Seven? There are seven Saw films, then there's Jigsaw, and then Spiral, the Book of Saw. So there's nine in total. Fucking Christ. So even after this one and after your birthday episode next week, we still probably have like three more parts to... Well, maybe two or three more parts. I don't know if I'm going to be able to cover Spiral if I can't get my hands on... A copy of it but i am gonna say this though if you have made it to this point in the saw franchise series with us i applaud you and you're probably wondering at this point like when are you going to rank your favorite traps in these movies i'm saving that till the very very end of this series so it's probably going to be parts five if well maybe there won't be a fifth part but we're in part two. So part three in our, in our next Saw franchise episode is going to cover parts Saw's five, five and six. six. And then part four is going to cover the seventh 
saw film and jigsaw. So that will be four so far. Okay. If I do a fifth one, it's going to probably be spiral and then a recap of all the different traps and then we will rank which I mean, ones are our favorite. That sounds good, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to for that. But again, it all depends on how soon I can get my hands on the spiral movie because I can't Again, it's right now it's not available on any streaming platform. That could change when we go into February or maybe even March. And if it does ever come back to a streaming service, I'm going to immediately watch it and then we will do that. Was it on the streaming service? It's technically not on any streaming service. I mean it is, but not ones that you and I have. Oh okay. Like it's on Redbox and Amazon movie or prime or whatever you would have to rent it that's the thing you would have to get on there so right and that's not something i want to pay a whole lot of money for yeah me either is there anything so far we've we've covered (sighs) saws one through four and i know you haven't seen the fourth or any of the other movies after but is there anything you want to make say your piece on before we wrap up uh no not really is there anything about this franchise that you enjoy? I guess. I don't know. It's, There's so many things about this franchise I that I enjoy. guess it's the karma of it. The karma of like people who've done wrong. And he's kind of teaching them to do you know, what they did was wrong. And try to see, you know, they could be better people out of it. I guess that's the part I like about it. Because, you know, I guess people have done so many bad things throughout the years. And some people just get away with practically murder. So it's just there's that one person, even though this the way he does it seems very unethical, but it kind of really does teaches them and kind of, you know, psychologically wakes them up. I wouldn't say it psychologically wakes them up. It just... Psychologically, it fucks with them. It's, it's it pretty, is because... Yeah, it's pretty fucking. In one of the later films, we do see a group of surviving victims of jigsaw's traps who never really learned but obviously when you experience trauma everybody who deals with trauma deals with it in different ways you know Mm -hmm. some people cope with humor some people cope with therapy i mean that's what i do i cope with humor but yeah others turn to a more self-destructive path and those are the people that john kramer kind of tends to seek out because he wants them to cherish their lives as jill tuck's drug clinic encourages them to and we will find out more about that drug clinic how it has more connections with john kramer and his other apprentices and even some of his victims yeah or later victims so i must say you think we're good for the night i think we're good for now is there anything you want to talk about that's not Saw related before we wrap up? No, not really. Okay. Because I know you got your birthday coming up. When we when we post this episode, it's going to be on Sunday, January 22nd. Mm-hmm. And you will be a week and two days until you turn 34. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Are you excited about your birthday episode? Yes. We still have to finish watching Monster Squad mm-hmm. at this point on the 18th we started it haven't finished it and i may need to re-watch the beginning because in all honesty i you didn't could, even watch it i was I looking could at not you. pay attention for the life of me you are a pain in my butt see this is the problem with me i keep saying i need to catch up on all these movies and to some people it's like it's so easy you just sit down and watch a movie but if you're not invested emotionally or psychologically even for that matter into a movie and you're not you're not going to pay attention to it well that's why you need to for this one i have add damn it okay when i get bored i zone out as evident from my 12 years of going through fucking bull okay way to blame public school for your problems i mean it's it can be hard sometimes and it's hard for me to get into movies so that's why like i need to be in the mood to watch something that's how i came across the saw franchise actually because eventually they put the saw franchises on hulu and i thought to myself you know what this is on my to be watch list and i just finished up binge watching this entire tv series within two hours no what was it do you remember i I can't even remember what you did i feel like you finished it quickly i finished watching or binge watching a tv series and i cannot seinfeld no that was early that was was you finished that pretty quick that was a while ago was it uh friends 
No, that was a year ago. <laughs> oh, wow. Never mind then. It was a TV series that's on a streaming service. I fit, I'd caught up and watched all the seasons, and I didn't have anything new to watch. So I was like, you know what? I might as well watch a franchise series. And I picked Saw because it was available on Hulu, and I needed to watch it on my to-be-watch list. And I really fucking enjoyed it. So that's all I have to say about that. Okay. Because of my ADD, I got into Saw. <laughs> well, let's thank ADD for that. Yes. Good job, ADD. And I don't know, did we talk about our my drawings on the last episode? I got into digital drawing, and I updated our logo, and I made a couple of digital drawings that I have posted on our Instagram. So if you haven't already, go follow us on Instagram. Go check out our digital drawings. I will probably be posting more and i've been having a lot of fun with the procreate app it's been great so yeah best christmas gift ever so that is our show for this evening mm-hmm. i would like to thank you all for listening to us mm-hmm. glad you took the time to listen to us you know talk yell whine bitch basically <laughs> all the things under the sun mm-hmm and we will continue this in the oncoming weeks, of course. I mean, we I think we're doing my birthday show after this, and then we... Yes. As I said earlier, we yeah. are doing your birthday show next week, and then the following week we will pick up the Saw franchise review. Yeah, so we'll give you guys a breather for a, a palate cleanser. Bit. Yeah, we'll give you a, a breather, you know, so... Palate cleanser. Yeah, we'll give you a palate cleanser. We'll cleanse your palate. <laughs> You even know what a palate cleanser means. It sounds like something you have in your car. No. <laughs> oh, my God. So this has been uh, an episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. Thank you all for listening. And um, tune in the next week to our new episode. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> stop looking weird <laughs> like that. You look constipated while trying to laugh. Anyway, so this so I am your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying, I want to play a game again. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.